So it's been a little while since I've been back, and I know uh, y'all always have new people. And so my name is Mike. I'm a pastor in the D.C. area at a church called McLean Bible Church, and I'm really good friends uh, with Jordan and Jessica. We go way back. I was friends with Jessica in college and her late husband, Jerron, and then uh, got a chance to meet Jordan, uh, put him through the ringer, who is this new dude, and, uh, and then had the privilege of being able to marry Jordan and Jessica and uh, them, uh, me and my wife, uh, man, they're some of our, our best friends. So this is family. So if you knew, I ain't new. Uh, Renaissance is like home. And uh, so uh, let's dig in, man. Uh, let's, let's go to um, Proverbs uh, chapter 4. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Proverbs chapter 4. You got a phone, got your Bible. Go ahead and get there. Let me just say, uh, when I came into uh, the city uh, last night, and it's always like this, man. You know how, like, those of you, probably none of y'all, most of y'all probably aren't, aren't necessarily from uh, New York City. Uh, when you go back home to wherever you're from and people start complaining about traffic, you're just like, nah, dog, this is not, this is Atlanta, this, is, this ain't traffic, D.C., this New York City, Manhattan is traffic. And so when you come, right, into the city, and I'm trying to get from, like, downtown all the way up here to Harlem, I'm like, yo, how long is it going to take to get uptown? And you see all, I mean, just this sea of people everywhere, people moving around, all these cabs. I'm looking at Uber, I'm thinking about how long it's going to take. And then you realize, like, people who are really from here, people who live here, most people don't really drive. You go down underneath the surface, and there's this whole world underneath the surface, right? This whole, there's literally thousands and thousands of people. There's all of this life happening underneath the surface. And I was thinking about that when I was coming into the city because I was thinking about this message, and I thought to myself, how many of us, get stuck because we're trying to grow and we're trying to make progress spiritually in other areas of our life, but we're staying on the surface. Maybe the reason why you're stuck going through cycle after cycle is because you haven't really gone down below the surface where you can really experience movement. And that's the wisdom of God that we see in Proverbs 4. Let me read this for us. And we're going to focus on verse 23, a familiar verse to some of us who may have grown up in church. But I want to read verses 20 through 27 so you understand the context here. So let me pick it up. Proverbs 4. It says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Here's our key verse. Verse 23, keep your heart. Some versions say guard your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let me pray before we dig in. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to spend time with you in your word. God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would not just speak, but you would work. 
God, your word has power to transform us from the inside out. I pray you would do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs 4.23 is the verse that we're going to be camping out in. And I wanted you to read that context because the Proverbs is written by King Solomon. And he's writing this to his son in order to kind of teach his son what it looks like to follow God, to follow God on the, in the way of wisdom or on the path of righteousness. And so he tells him, watch out what you do with your eyes and your ears. Watch out where your feet go. All of these different things. But at the heart of everything he tells his son, he says, guard your heart. Keep your heart. And so I want to answer three questions this morning. One, what is the heart? Two, why is the heart so important? And three, how do we guard our hearts? What is the heart? Well, we can tell from the context that Solomon isn't just talking about our physical hearts. As human beings, God has designed us in two ways. He's designed us with an outer uh, material person that's called our body. And he's designed us also with an inner immaterial person. And in the Bible, our inner person is often referred to interchangeably as the soul or the spirit. In many cases, like here, as the heart. And the heart is used, that word is used 46 times just in the book of Proverbs and over 800 times just in the Old Testament. So that's not even getting into the New Testament. You may have, remember a popular verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Samuel is evaluating different men in order to choose Israel's next king. And he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In other words, people evaluate other people based on external factors. That's not how God operates. What matters most to God is what's happening in a person's heart. And so heart is used throughout the Bible in all these different ways to describe lots of different dynamics. So it can be a little bit hard to to kind of narrow down or nail down a specific definition of the heart. Here's, here's the simplest way I know how to define it. The heart is your core motivations in life. Your core motivations in life. It's why you do what you do. It's the underlying influences. It's who you really are at your core. And here's what I mean by core motivations. This is how the heart works. If you really get this, this can literally change your life deep down at the core of who you are, you are always trusting something and you are always treasuring something. You're always trusting something and you're always treasuring something. In any season or situation of life, underneath every decision that you make, your heart is always trusting something. You're always trusting whatever you think is most reliable. Your heart is always treasuring something. Underneath every decision, our hearts are desiring something that we think will satisfy us. And so we trust whatever we think is most reliable. We treasure whatever we feel is most satisfying. And so think about what you trust for a second. We're not just talking about what you think, right? Because a lot of times we can't necessarily control the thoughts that come into our mind. But here's the thing. All these thoughts run through our minds, but we choose which thoughts to trust. 
That's why somebody said, it was somebody wise, I don't know who said it originally, but they said, don't believe everything you think. We choose which thoughts to trust, which thoughts to believe and to replay in our minds over and over again. And we're always trusting and then treasuring something in our hearts. And so this has been the human struggle since the beginning. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. What were they treasuring? The fruit of the tree. In other words, they were treasuring, they wanted, they desired what they thought God was holding back from them. What were they trusting? What did they choose to trust? Who did they choose to trust? Satan. Even though God said, if you eat from the tree, you will die, Satan promised them, you're not going to die. God is just trying to withhold from you. And so in any situation or temptation, the key question is, what are you trusting and treasuring more than Jesus and his will? So what is the heart? It's the core motivations of your life, what you fundamentally trust and treasure. And why is the heart so important? Look back at the verse, Proverbs 4.23. Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, I had a, I had a great, listen, I, I, I wasn't really an academic. Like, I literally legit, like, no lie, Jess will tell you, I got kicked out of University of Maryland twice. Now, I graduated. I got the same degree Jess did. Took me a little bit longer. You know what I'm saying? But, but I, I, in, in preparing for this, right, I, I, I was learning what I should have learned when I took geology at University of Maryland. I was studying aquifers and permeable rock layers and springs and all of that stuff. And I was super excited to explain all of that to y'all. But when I explained it to my wife, she was like, I mean, the verse is kind of self-explanatory. Like, I don't. I don't really need to know all of that. And so, so I'm not, I'm not going to get, I'm, the, the point is pretty clear, right? You understand what, what the psalmist, is, uh, what the, uh, Solomon is saying here. Your heart is underground. It's unseen beneath the surface. It's internal like a well. And your life, your, your lifestyle and the results of that lifestyle are like the external spring that people actually see above the surface. And so your heart affects everything in your life. Right now, your heart is affecting everything in your life. It affects the way you view the world. It affects the decisions that you make. It affects how you respond to circumstances. It affects your attitude and your emotions. And so in the New Testament, Jesus uses a different met metaphor to make the same point. In Luke 6, he uses the image of a tree that bears fruit. The tree and the fruit are above the surface, and they're produced by the roots underneath the surface. He elaborates on that a little bit more in Mark 7, 21. So read this verse with me. Just look at this verse. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, that's the root, here's the fruit, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come out of your heart. Jerry Bridges put it this way. He said, people seldom fall suddenly into gluttony or immorality or any sin. He says, these actions are savored in the mind long before they are enjoyed in reality. There's stuff going on in your heart and it ends up manifesting itself in your life. 
And so Solomon refers to the heart as a well. Jesus refers to the heart as a root system. I found it helpful to think of the heart this way. This is a 2019 upgrade. Your heart is the steering wheel of your life. It's the steering wheel of your life. What we do and how we live is driven by what we trust and treasure the most. And listen, I don't know about you, but I constantly want to make sure that Jesus has his hands on the steering wheel. I want to make sure that he is the one that I trust the most, that he is the one that I treasure the most. And let let me keep it all the way real because it has not always been that way in my life. It hasn't always been that way. My heart was gripped up by all kinds of other things more so than Jesus. At this point in my life, I want him to have the reins of my life. And so in a very real sense, and this is how I would summarize everything I've said so far. This is what I want you to ultimately take away. I would summarize it this way. Whatever controls your heart controls your life. Whatever controls your heart controls your life. A little while back, I had a a crazy week. How many of y'all had a crazy week? A little while back, I had a a crazy, absolutely crazy week. I I taught several times, emceed my school, uh, my son's school program, which makes me way more nervous, to be honest, than doing this. Done all this stuff. I pulled an all-nighter to get some work done. And then one night, after preaching my fifth sermon in one weekend, I got back in the car in a parking garage and I literally could not remember my address. It was the most unsettling feeling, one of the most unsettling feelings I ever had in my life. I literally was sitting in the car and no matter how hard I tried, I could not remember my home address. I literally had to look it up in Google Maps. I got to pull it up and look through previous addresses because I couldn't remember it. I was so stressed out, so physically and mentally exhausted that I couldn't remember my own address. And the question is, see, that's the surface. The question is, why did I allow myself? How did I allow myself to get to that point? It's very simple, y'all. It's because of what had control of my heart. It's because all throughout that week, what I was treasuring the most was the hustle. What I was treasuring the most was success. What I was treasuring the most was productivity. And even at a deeper level, more than treasuring productivity, what I was really treasuring was the validation that comes from productivity. That people, that's why so often when people ask how you doing, we respond, I'm busy. Sometimes it's because we're really busy. Sometimes it's because our identity is built around projecting this image of busyness. Because if I'm on the grind, then that must mean that I'm, I'm doing something good, that I'm being successful, that I'm pursuing something worthwhile. And I had allowed that hustle treasuring success and validation of other people to be what was driving my heart. I was treasuring that and I was trusting. I was trusting that what I needed most 
was productivity rather than trusting what God says that I need rest. Rather than trusting that God is sovereign over everything and he is the one who is in control and he can accomplish everything he needs to accomplish with or without me. So I can lay my head on my pillow at night trusting that the God of the universe doesn't slumber or sleep. He always manages to get done what he needs to get done. And listen, the same dynamics are true in your life. Something is controlling your heart too. It's underneath your sex life. You know what drives your sex life? What you trust and what you treasure. That's how you make your sexual decisions. It's underneath your fear and your constant anxiety. Maybe it's because of a chemical imbalance or previous trauma Some of us might legit need professional help. We might need medicine. But listen, for most of us, for most of us, when we're struggling with anxiety or fear, it's because deep down we're trusting and treasuring something that we think we need more than what God has provided. We're trusting and treasuring some particular outcome to give us peace rather than trusting God to give us peace. It's underneath your spending habits. I heard some audible responses to that one. (laughs) It's up underneath your credit card statement. It's underneath your anger and your forgiveness. What has been controlling your heart lately? What influences have been primarily shaping what you trust and treasure? Every single day, there are all kind of forces at work trying to take control and claim authority over your heart. And it's not a matter of if something will control your heart. It's a matter of what or who you will allow to control your heart. It's a choice that you and I make every day in every situation and every decision. And that's why Solomon says, keep or guard Or keep watch over your heart. How? With all vigilance. So how do you guard your heart? I want to give you a strategy for guarding your heart. And even more than that, for experiencing deep transformation when your heart is not in a good place. Because some of us are just paying attention to the symptoms. Some of us are living reckless, wilding out, and we're paying attention to the symptoms. And some of us are in a constant cycle of anxiety and fear, and we're just trying to manage the symptoms. I want to give you a strategy for guarding your heart and experiencing transformation in your heart. It starts with this. you got to be honest about the condition of your heart. you got to be honest about the condition in your heart. What's really driving the way I'm living? What's really driving the way I'm responding? And here's the thing. Our culture is obsessed with externals. There is constant pressure on you and me to focus on all of the symptoms. Do more, achieve more, produce more, look better, level up. But God's wisdom says pay attention to your heart. So it begins with acknowledging to yourself, to God, and maybe also to others that our hearts don't naturally trust and treasure God. Our hearts, listen, are naturally resistant to God and naturally inclined to sin and selfishness. And the reality is that ultimately you can't change your own heart. 
I can't change my own heart. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, the human heart is deceived and enslaved. And that's why Jeremiah says, some of y'all heard this verse before, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And listen, that's why a new heart is one of the promises of the new covenant, that Jesus doesn't just promise to improve your heart. He promises to transform your heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's why he died and rose again, not just so you could be forgiven, but so that you could be transformed. The Bible calls it being born again. And maybe for you, it starts with facing the reality that your heart has never really been changed. Listen, you got to understand this. Religion can modify your behavior, but it cannot change your heart. It can't change your heart. So you can go through the motions and you can get on a Bible reading plan and you can come to church and you can give and you can walk old ladies across the Harlem streets and you can do all of that stuff. And you can modify your behavior and still you do not have the power to change your own heart. Only God himself can do that. And he does it when you're born again by putting your faith in Jesus. He changes your heart. And all of these new, weird, honestly weird desires start popping up in your heart. You start to love to worship. I can't sing. But I'm on the front row giving it up like I'm Luther out here, like <laughs> killing him. Because all of a sudden, God transformed my heart. And I trust and treasure him. And I want to give him all of the worship and the praise that he's due. And all of a sudden, these desires for holiness start to take over your heart. Because the thing you want most is to please the God who saved you. And who knows you and who loves you and who has redeemed you. God changes our hearts. But then even as a Christian, our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to trust and treasure other things more than Jesus. And so we have to learn how to identify what's happening in our hearts and then be honest about it. So a friend of mine posted this uh, on, on Facebook and she, she's posted, uh, uh, pastors, when is the last time someone asked you, how's your heart? Now, it was in the context of all of these headlines in the news of pastors just wilding out. Pastors getting caught in this scandal or that scandal. And so she said, pastor, when's the last time somebody asked you, how's your heart? Now, let me be just completely honest. Like for my first thought, first of all, I was just thinking to myself, if Jordan Rice ever pulled me to the side and was like, how's your heart? I might swing on her. I might I just be like, bro, what are you, what is you talking about? What are you talking about? Me and my wife, we were meeting with a marriage counselor, and the counselor kept asking me questions about my heart. I'm like, what is you talking about? What are you talking about? I am not a person who is naturally inclined to think about my heart. I'm not trying to sit around in a circle with a bunch of dudes and talk about my heart. That's not how I'm. Wire, but listen, this is the wisdom of God. God says you can stay stuck in the same old cycles over and over again, or you can take my wisdom, Proverbs 4.23, and you can begin to pay attention to what's happening in your heart. Once you understand what's happening in your heart, you have a decision to make. 
Are you going to continue to allow all these other things to draw your heart away from God? Are you going to continue to allow yourself to trust and treasure things more than you trust and treasure God? And listen, if not, if you say, no, I'm not going to allow those things to keep doing that. God, I want you to change my heart. God, I need you to redirect my heart. Then the best way I can summarize the strategy for guarding your heart is in two words, fighting and feasting. It might sound weird. It is. I'll explain it. Fighting and feasting. You guard your heart, first of all, by fighting. You need to Fight against any influences that would draw your heart away from trusting and treasuring God. I came across this story a while back. There was a man uh, who lived in, in New York City. I actually think he lived in, in Harlem. And one day he ch- uh, checked himself. He went to the emergency room and he had bites all over his body. And so they couldn't find out. He said it was a pit bull. He got attacked by a pit bull. Now, meanwhile... Like, this is a legit story. Meanwhile, there's these, his neighbors are calling 911 because they're complaining about these weird sounds coming from his apartment. And so the police show up to his apartment, and, and there's no, like, peephole in the door, but they're hearing weird noises, too. So they literally drill a, a hole through the door, and they look inside and they see a 500-pound Bengal tiger. I'm not making this up. We got a picture for you. Like, true story. They see a 500-pound Bengal tiger. Now, they're not just going to open the door. (laughs) So literally what they do is they go to the top of the apartment building. They have one officer propelled down to the window with a tranquilizer gun, right? Don't Peter people don't email me. Like they weren't trying to kill it, they were just trying to put it to sleep. They they <laughs> they open the joint, they 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 shoot the tiger with the tranquilizer gun, put put him to sleep. Then they they come into his apartment. Not only did they see the tiger, but they also found a three-foot alligator in his apartment. And listen, yeah, it's crazy. Now, here's the question all of us should be asking. Why would you bring a 500-pound tiger into your house? You know why? Because it wasn't 500 pounds when he bought it. See, the backstory is he found, or how, off the black market, something like that. He found this tiger when it was a baby. And he could flex with all his friends. They got dogs. He got a tiger. He's like, yo, come, come look at my, my little baby tiger. But you know what the problem is? Tigers grow. And you know what the other problem is? The job description of a tiger is to eat your face. So you bring a tiger in, this little baby cute tiger that you can manage for a time into your house, but then it begins to grow. And all of a sudden, what you thought you could control begins to control you. And so this is the same thing you and I do, that we allow all of these things to become what we trust and what we treasure. 
We allow these relationships, we allow these ideas, we allow these thoughts, we allow these habits to come into our life and take control of our hearts. And we do it because we think to ourselves, it's just a little Netflix and chill. It's not really that serious. It's just a little bit of credit card debt. I can't afford it, but I got to flex like everybody else. And so, and so I gotta, I'll put it on credit. We, we begin to do these things and allow these things that we think that we can control. And then we end up in a situation where we look at this thing that is now fully grown. And we're like, man, this is beyond my control. And this is why Solomon says you have to fight anything that will draw your heart away from God, you have to fight it. You don't make progress spiritually in the Christian life with casual Christianity. Christian life is not like the little moving walkway at the airport. I know some of y'all want to get your steps in and so you walk. I'm lazy. I'm getting on the move. Why would I do? Why would I? I'm going to get on the moving walkway, and I'm going to chill. And I'm not going to be efficient and try to double time and walk. And no, I'm going to just stand on that joint. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not for the lazy. If you want what God has for you, and you want to fully experience and make some movement in your life with Jesus, you have to be willing to fight. And the problem is we want to change without having to give anything up. We want to change without having to fight against the things that draw us away. What tempts you to sin? What stresses you out? What steals your joy? What lies are you believing? What lies are you believing? That I'm worthless. That I'll never have what I need. That I have to have fill in the blank. I have to disobey God in this particular way in order to have the joy that I really want and need. We have to fight against the things that draw our hearts away from God. But listen, those impulses in our hearts, they don't just go away. And you can't just will them away. God has to replace them. I share this analogy all the time before I got married. Jess can, can vouch for this. Uh, I used to eat fast food three times a day. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, Chick-fil-A fast food. I'm talking about, like, Taco Bell fast food. Like, <laughs> three, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I couldn't just sit in a room and be like, Taco Bell is nasty. McDonald's, that Big Mac, those crispy fries are disgusting. That doesn't work. Here's what happened. All of a sudden, my wife starts introducing me to all kind of greenery. <laughs> she starts taking me to all these, well, taking me, like making me take her to all these nice <laughs> restaurants. Like for me, an Outback steak was like, 
And I start tasting like farm to table ribeye and like all this crazy stuff. And you know what happened? The more and more and more I started to experience what good, healthy food was like, the less and less I wanted trash. Right? And it works the exact same way. So listen, listen, if you want to grow, if you want to guard your heart, if you want to make progress, you can't just fight the things that keep you away from God, you have to feast on God. You have to feast on the goodness and the grace of God. God doesn't want us to be preoccupied with what we struggle with. He wants us to be preoccupied with him. With him. And the only way to change my appetite is to change my diet. And see, some of us have gotten the message that Christianity is only fighting. Christianity is only don't do this, don't do that. And that's a very real part of it. There's stuff you have to fight with vigilance. Because sin is not a pet, it's a predator. You have to fight. You can't just let that stuff just come and just sit and just chill in your heart and in your life. Yes, we have to fight, but that's only half the battle. I would say that's only one third of the battle. The rest of the Christian life is learning how to feast on the goodness and the grace of God. It's learning how to feast. So you feast and you trust and you treasure God through his word. Through his word. This, listen, this book... This book is not primarily an instruction manual. This book is God revealing himself to you. This book is designed to teach you and train you ultimately how to live in fellowship with God, enjoying his goodness and his grace, enjoying his leadership in your life. And so you got to feast on God's word. This is why we talk about having a devotional life. It's not just so you could check off some boxes. You don't just get up and read the Bible every morning or, or listen to it on the train or what. You don't just feed yourself an appetite of Scripture because you're going to show up and, and, and you want to say, oh, I have my... No, it's because you need it. It's because this is where you begin to experience the goodness and the grace of God as he reveals himself to you in new and fresh ways. You replace the lies that you believe with the truth of God's word. You're a Christian and you think about your past life and you constantly walk in these doors feeling full of shame. Then instead of trusting what your past says about you, you trust what God says about you, that you are a son or a daughter of God, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. You look at the circumstances of your life. And you're tempted to, to, to be fearful that you will never have peace if the circumstances don't change. And you say, no, I trust Philippians 4. That when I pray about everything and present my request to God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. You feast on the word of God. And not just by feasting on the word of God. But by feasting on God through prayer and worship and allowing him to use you in ministry and even in the everyday things of life, it's opportunities to feast on the goodness and the grace of God. Look at Psalm 
107, and then we'll wrap it up. Psalm 107, listen to this, verses 8 and 9. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And listen to this, and some of y'all need to really believe this. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Did you know that? Did you know that God satisfies the longing soul? God satisfies the longing soul more than success, more than sex, more than materialism. God satisfies the longing soul. He has made you. He's more committed to your joy than you are. And he invites you to feast on his goodness and his grace every single day, beginning now and for all of eternity. And so listen, you got to get this, man. Like if you want to make progress in your relationship with God, you got to fight those areas, those things that draw you away from God, draw your heart from God, but you cannot stop there. You got to be all in. You got to fully give yourself to feasting on the goodness and grace of God. It's going to mean your life looks a little different. It's going to mean that your life may look a little weird to some of the people around you. But listen, this is how God changed my life. As a college student at University of Maryland running absolutely reckless, I saw a group of guys, this group of dudes that were, uh, that, that were upperclassmen. I called myself a Christian. They called themselves Christian. I was not actually a Christian. I didn't know it at the time. And here's what happened. Even though their life looked different and weird to me, I saw something in their life that I didn't have. And God began to use that to expose and to reveal the true condition of my heart. That, listen, I was saying I was a Christian, but my heart was trusting and treasuring anything and everything more than Jesus. And I got to a point, sophomore year, where I said, God, you can have my heart. To the de- down to the core of who I am, God, take all of it. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are sovereign. I trust that you are worthy of all of my worship and all of my obedience and all of my devotion. And God, I treasure you. I know deep down that you are the only one that can truly satisfy my soul. And then I stepped into the ring for the rest of my life to fight any and everything that would draw my trust and treasure away from God. And then for the rest of my life, it's like I sit at this table that's been prepared before me and I feast on the goodness and the grace of God. So how's your heart? What is controlling your heart? Whatever controls your heart controls your life. So you need to guard your heart. How do you do that? Be honest about the condition of your heart. Fight anything that draws you away from God. And feast on the goodness and the grace of God for the rest of your life. And I'll promise you this, not even me. God promises you this. He'll change your heart. He will transform your heart. And as he transforms you from the inside out, 
your life will begin to change. Maybe not everything in your life, but your life will begin to change. I'm going to pray for us to close, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But I want to I say this. There are some of you here who have not really, and you know this, you have not really made the decision to say, Jesus, be Lord over my heart. I'm making a decision to trust and treasure you. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about going through the motions. I'm talking about coming to a place in your life where you realize everything else I've been trusting and treasuring is empty ultimately. Jesus, I'm turning from that and I'm turning to you. And I'm saying, I trust and I treasure you. You're the one who died for me so that I could be forgiven. You're the one who rose yourself up from the grave, declaring that you have all power, that you truly are God. Jesus, I trust and I treasure you. Some of you have not truly made that decision. And until you do, your life will go in cycles. You may, it may be a cycle of success. It may be a cycle of failure. In both of those cycles, you will be empty ultimately. And so whether it's while we're taking the Lord's Supper, whether it's while we're singing, whether it's when you go back home to your apartment, I want to plead with you to make the decision today to put all of your weight on Jesus as your trust and your treasure. You don't need a priest. God himself says, you talk to me, you confess the condition of your heart to me, and you trust what I've done for you in Jesus on the cross. And I will come in, I will transform and control your heart. I will give you eternal life, and nothing will ever be the same. Let me pray. Father, I pray that as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, that you will remind us, God, that you are worthy of our trust and you are worthy of all of our affection, our desires, our treasure. That on the cross, God, you have demonstrated how much you love us and how trustworthy you are. God, would you redirect our hearts? Would you change our hearts? Even in this moment, Would you allow our hearts to trust and treasure you? In Jesus' name, amen.